hello and welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio Broadcasting in the year 2023. We're from the future, folks. I'm one half of your host, Yael Osonski, broadcasting from the Central European studio. And I'm joined by my colleague, David Clement, who is um, over there in Toronto, Ontario. David, I hope you had a, a good and a brilliant and bushy-tailed, uh, stark-eyed start to the new year. How are you, my man? <laughs> Yeah, happy new year. Happy new year. Um uh, twenty twenty three. I uh I crossed the, the age threshold of I'm now thirty three years old. Um which I believe is officially old. Um yeah. It's uh hopefully twenty twenty three I wanna say hopefully twenty twenty three things like really like get back to normal and there's less shenanigans going on but uh at the rate we're going i doubt that's going to happen <laughs> well i will confirm to you that 33 is a great amazing age not to dox myself um but a uh, great thing happened <laughs> great things happen in this year um, mm -hmm. just just so you know uh yeah david i um yeah. i think i'm much like many many others who are getting back into the swing of things after uh, the holiday season um, this week is not done, though, for um, those Christian folks who are celebrating around the world. We still have, uh, this week was Epiphany Day, and then uh, we have um, the traditional sort of Orthodox Christmas. So there might be some Greeks, uh, Russians, yeah, for, Ukrainians, and, and all the rest uh, having fun there. For the heathens, can you explain to me what um, what Epiphany is? Uh, epiphany is technically the, um, it's sort of the baptism of Jesus Christ, essentially, it was after he was born, which you have the 25th, which is kind of what we say today. Who knows if that's actually true of December, but essentially it was the, yeah. the, the baptism yeah. of the, the epiphany that, you know, this is not just an ordinary baby, but was it the son of God or God incarnated or whatever you might think. Um, a Got lot of people it. also just view it yes. as okay. the eve of the uh, three wise men visiting, which is what the Orthodox Christmas is all about. Oh. It's when the gifts show up, the uh, uh, frankincense, myrrh, and gold uh, that comes from the three wise men. They show yes. up on the 7th, and that's what uh, many other cultures do celebrate. Hmm. Well, happy epiphany to those who observe. Happy epiphany to all. So yeah, I haven't really been following too much yeah. in the news. It's been uh, a lot of family time, a lot of uh, greater the, the Christmas cheer. Um, I hope the Santa Claus was good to you. Yeah, yeah. His first Christmas as a dad, which is fun. Yeah, usually um, dads are very low in the totem pole when it comes to Christmas, but perhaps uh, perhaps Canadian Santa was a bit better. <laughs> uh, Canadian Santa was pretty good. Canadian Santa was pretty good. Um, yeah, it's fun. As you know, Christmas with kids um, changes uh, changes the whole um experience no we're not there yet where our daughter uh knows what's going on <laughs> so we're not at the excitement part of christmas morning uh but we're on the road to that which is fun it um, is fun makes it all the worth for it. you you're you're already there <laughs> yeah we are I'm juggling all the christmas traditions as uh, you might have heard on the past episodes of consumer choice radio which you guys can go and uh, listen to uh so that is a it's a mm -hmm. definitely a different flair and a different culture and then different traditions and then um i was enabled enabled by um my lady 
to uh, cook another turkey coming up right after Thanksgiving. I uh, did another Ooh. Christmas Day turkey. This one way bigger. So it's about eight kilos, Beautiful. 17 pounds. Ooh. Not on the smoker this Very time, nice. but yeah, it was good. Um, so we have that going no. on. And then um, for those of you who uh, were able to listen live last week, or perhaps you listen on the uh, podcast feed, we had a great debate on AI-generated art. And it was with uh, the design team that we have at the Consumer Choice Center um, and our colleague Bill Vietz, who hosts the Consumer Podcast. And uh, we had a nice, spirited, you know, one-hour conversation. Um, I think we couldn't play the whole thing on radio, so we put it up on the YouTube. Um, and actually, it has pretty yep. good views already. I, I didn't even promote it or do anything, and it's just a sound file with a nice picture <laughs> of AI-generated art. Uh, but people really seem to like it, David. And I, <laughs> We didn't get your take because you, you didn't participate at the time, but um, having to listen to every second of it, uh, which I know you did, what are your kind of thoughts on this? And I'm, I'm hearing this more from um, technology journalists and others following it. It's like, okay, there's actually a lot of IP considerations here that perhaps uh, uh, have been somewhat overlooked. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so it's essentially the, the, the question here is like who owns, like if you solicit AI-generated art, who owns the art that is created? Uh, well, Like is everything open source? Yeah, it's just essentially if, like, you draw paintings of butterflies in a very particular way, you put it up on your website and you sell that art, and then uh, you see somebody do uh, AI-generated art, and all of a sudden your butterflies show up in there, you, what does that mean for you? It really means that your butterflies well, got ripped. That's about it, but... I, I mean, if, if you say, like, if I put into the AI generator, I'm like, Give me a picture of EIL as if Picasso drew it. I mean, am I ripping Picasso? It's not a Picasso. That's kind of the point. Well, Picasso, so, yeah. I mean, there that's a bit different because you can say, oh, well, it's, you know, now it's whatever he did is in the public domain or something like that. Yeah. It's more for artists and graphic artists specifically who have put things together and see them plug in. And look, I don't know if there's any answer. And I think the better response to all of that is like, look, we'll have the tools to be able to address that or people can choose their, you know, IP friendly AI art generator at some point and the consumers will just decide what the best product is. Yeah, I mean, the IP stuff on, on graphics and images can be like abused quite a bit where... You get the, you get those emails where it's like you used our image from this in something that's not even monetized, and then they'll be like, "Pay us 150 bucks now." Um, so you could be spurring a lot more of that, but then again, like, who's responsible? Like, if you solicit the creation of a picture. Do you are you then responsible for what is created in the picture? Like who who would the claim be against? Yeah, and if I haven't I haven't even checked art. the database. Um, I'm sure there's already been a couple of little pieces of art that at the intellectual property office um, in the states people have tried to register or something. So I haven't followed that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, it is tough. It is tough. It's like there's no clear like. Well, obviously, this is the answer. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. 
I mean... Yeah, ethically, I'm still using them. Um, I use it a lot for the art on these programs. Um, if yeah. you're using a podcast player, see it on the website, or um, we'll have Saga 960 AM, where we do broadcast our program at 1 p.m. Eastern every Saturday. Uh, they will put it up on their social uh, networks as well. So we are using them, I, I think, ethically for now. And, and actually, I pay for my subscription. Okay. I'm using a mid-journey AI, so I'm paying for that. Uh, again, I don't think there's any royalties going to any of the people they're scraping from, uh, but it, it's at least, it was an interesting conversation and debate. Uh, we'll also link to the uh, YouTube link in the uh, show notes on uh, consumerchoiceradio.com. You guys can see that and uh, listen to it if you're interested or go back in the podcast feed. Uh, I did put up the whole thing on the podcast feed so you can hear that. Uh, yeah, David, apart from that, um, political winds are changing in many different areas yeah. in the United States of America. We have a uh, a brand new Congress that is in town, but not yet officially sworn in, and they're just kind of sulking in the hallways, and there's a banging of gavels, and um, at least as of recording this, we still don't have a Speaker of the House of Representatives. We do not. Yeah, it's something that will be decided. Um, it will probably be Friday come probably midnight their time so if you're listening to this on saturday morning and you're already in the news you spoil it for us but oh man there's a there's a lot of this it's um they've had upwards of 12 rounds of voting and yeah. uh, the previous house uh, minority leader um, now that the republicans are the majority kevin mccarthy has mm -hmm. failed to win uh, the full majority that he needs so there's been other names thrown into the the hat there's been uh I think uh, Anthony Andy Biggs has had his name in there. Another rep. We've had mm -hmm. Donald Trump's name thrown in there. Oh boy, <laughs> is that a House of Cards moment? <laughs> oh, oh, that, I think that was an ultimate simp move by Matt Gates. I I think this is oh, not God. a this is a uh, what they call in the anime world. There's a little bit of fan service. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I, I did see. What do you think? I did see a really good tweet from a British guy, and it was a picture that was like of McCarthy and votes are trying to rally the votes, and it's like American democracy has failed. We set sail on Monday. Okay, well now <laughs> we're on memes. Um, I love this one. It's like, guys, Prince Harry wants his privacy, and that's why he announced that he's running for Speaker of the House of Representatives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I mean, there's. Uh, are you going to read this book, this Prince Harry book? We're kind of a bit of a segue here, but are you going to read it? Please. Do you think I would read this book? Come on. I'm going to read it. It's already pre-ordered. I'm going to oh. read this book. It seems like he's going scorched earth here, based on what I'm seeing in the British tabloids, like the the little snippets that they're po they're, they're they're posting. Um. It, it seems like he's like actually going scorched earth against um, his. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the his future family. king. I mean, the future king. Come on. Yeah, but also his dad. Apparently, his his dad made a joke about Harry's real father because that's always been the conspiracy that Harry's dad, biological father, isn't Charles and all this stuff. It's like a whoa. It's kind that of funny. That is some deep stuff. It, it is some deep stuff. Um, I don't know why you read this book, but you, I will happily provide the cliff notes to the listeners of uh, Consumer Choice Radio so people can um, 
I mean, it's just it's it's reality literature, right? Oh, I it's, see. It's the that's it it's like it's like watching real it's like reading real housewives of new york <laughs> it's uh, just gossip and slander yeah and i i guess um hey if that's what you get i did see another meme related to this it was um it was that scene where megan and harry are being interviewed by oprah yeah and it's like yeah and i just you know we just you just don't know how, how it feels. It's so bad. And like, while they're talking, there's piles of money that are just like stacking up as they talk. (laughs) I mean, this is the, this is the problem that I have is that you want to rail against the institution while at the same time, the only reason why anybody cares who you are is the institution. I mean, otherwise, like, yeah, yes. he's just another dude in the pub. Um, right? He's a guy. He served his country. Okay, that's great. Um, but other than that, he's just a veteran and a, and a philanthropist, but that's only just because of the institution. So he's just a guy who married a celebrity without the institution. And so it's like, uh, like people only care what you have to say because of who you are. But you don't really want to be who you are, but you still want the money associated with who you are. It's like, yeah, yeah, an, an actress uh, most well known for uh, appearing in two episodes of uh, Fringe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I saw that recently. Uh, yeah, so we'll. Uh, I, I will um, put the put the calendar in order so that we can hear from David um, as soon as he finishes this uh, book. Uh, he can provide us with the tidbits. Of everything that's happening and um with the palace intrigue or the yeah, LA yeah. mansion intrigue at this point. I'll be I'll be the royal correspondent. You the, can be the Consumer Choice Center's royal correspondent. Royal uh, correspondent here uh checking in. Uh we're gonna we're gonna give you a big old uh a boost. big old boost for that. Uh you guys can pay attention here to the radio. <laughs> uh yeah, fun stuff. All right, well you guys stay tuned here to Consumer Choice Radio. We've got um got some other stuff to talk about. A lot about environmentalists and the degrowthers, David. And uh, it seems we're talking about the population bomb all over again. thought that'd oh be boy. interesting. Yeah, we'll be uh, talking about that. Stay tuned here on Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting on Saga 960 AM. Big talker. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting across North America and right there in your pocket. David, I left a little bit of a tease uh, there for the uh, after the first segment, talking about uh, population bombs, talking about uh, what's happening with uh, the degrowthers. Uh, there was a surprising appearance on uh, the 60 Minutes program of uh, Paul Ehrlich. Um, so that Paul Ehrlich, uh, if you guys might not know, he's like a biologist and he wrote this banger of a book called The Population Bomb, 1968, um, essentially making the case that uh, in the 70s, if we don't implement some type of population control um, using all types of uh, coercion, um, it would be doom for disease, the planet, um, climate change, storms, uh, Everyone would be out of food. Um, you'd think this guy, after all these years, would be uh, 
basically discredited beyond all get out. Uh, but yeah, he's back. And uh, the narrative is, is in that uh, if we don't um, allow our world leaders to tax us, um, you know, up to 30, 40, 50 percent, uh, we're all going to die, David. Well, see, the thing that grinds my gears here is this, this is just a rehashing of Thomas Malthus. Um, old... some Malthus. Give, give some uh, feedback here. Give some uh, some history here for the listeners. Yeah, I mean, Malthusian thought is essentially the same thing, that as the human population increases, we have a finite amount of resources or, or essentially the, the ability to, let's say, make food or whatnot, and that people will ultimately get a lot poorer and impoverished if we don't do something to control the population. Um, the problem is, is that that assumes that food production stays for using that as an example, um, stays constant, meaning there are no productivity gains, which we obviously know is not true. We now feed more people with less land than any other point in human history. Um, so it, it, it's an old idea that has just consistently been proven wrong um, over and over and over and over again. And it's just the same nonsense rehashed. Um, and he's always wrong. Um, and so like the population bomb is wrong. Um, you would have expected that in that boom from let's say the seventies into until today that you would have an increase uh, as a percentage in absolute poverty, which you obviously do not. You have probably the greatest allevi alleviation of poverty since the since the domestication of animals ten thousand years ago. Um, so it's just not uh, it's it's not it's just wrong every time, and yet people still give this guy a serious look, and it drives me nuts. And uh, the animals, you make a very good point. Um, he was essentially making the degrowth case in, in his specific 60 Minutes segment uh, is about how animals now have no place to live. Uh, so it's sort of a land use argument is that we've uh, colonized all parts of the world. Again, David, I, I say this to you as you're sitting in Canada where you know 90% of the population lives within 100 miles of the U.S. border. <laughs> There's plenty of... Plenty of prairie land open, folks. Um, and also in Europe, uh, we've looked at the numbers of, of animals, just generally. Um, a lot of extinct animals are, uh, what do you call them, endangered, uh, where actually you see a, a huge number of growth since uh, the 70s and 80s. There's been more protections. Uh, there's a lot more private properties that you know do allow a lot more protection of animal wildlife. And this guy just goes on and on and is invited on and um, we, we don't even have to go back too far to look at some of his most atrocious comments about what to do with policy and the environment and everything else. I mean, he had an argument now that you're a, a papa, now that you're a father, uh, David, uh, making the case that, you know, the government could figure out a way, not using the law, but with like a heavy, heavy recommendation that if you uh, breed too many kids, uh, you should go to jail or that the FCC should require television programs uh, to make sure that any show that has a large family is seen in a negative light. I mean, this is, um, it's next level. You know, he's an old, he's an OG degrowther. 
you know, the more modern elements are the people who are, you know, putting uh, color and paint, throwing them on old paintings and museums and, you know, spraying stuff all over town or gluing themselves to the road. Um, there's, I don't know how to explain this because all the numbers say that we're actually doing really well with innovation. We're actually doing well with saving forests. We're actually doing pretty well with feeding the world. Um, but the, the doomsayers are still out in force. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, it, uh, I, I recently, I experienced this in a debate talking about single use plastics and, I was highlighting with a with a very nice person from environmental defense who I would certainly put in like the degrowth category, um, talking about how the alternatives to single use plastics are often much worse for the environment, which of course they are. Um, her response is, "Well, yeah, but we want to get to a reusable future," and I I was like, "Okay, well, what does that look like for?" me going to Wendy's and getting a Baconator combo. Am I bringing my own box, my own cup, my own bag? Like your own cotton bag for that Baconator. <laughs> but seriously, and, and I mean, I know what the, what the actual philosophical viewpoint is for, for those folks is that all of that stuff is unnecessary and we don't care if it goes away. Uh, it's just, the, it's their mindset. And I mean, it's, it's so incredibly dangerous that we listen to these people because, um, and this is one of those things where Elon Musk is right, because he's been very outspoken about how the, one of the biggest threats to humanity is a decline in population growth. Um, and you're seeing a lot of people really come around and think that like, decrease decreasing the the birth rate is good for the environment and it's like yeah but who solves environmental problems who comes up with new technology to solve the problems of the day people do you need more you need more of them um and that's where that is where innovation comes from um you have to increase the supply of people thinking about these problems in the most crudest terms um to solve them um, but they're not really interested in solving them. Um, I forget some, I forget, I forget who it was who tweeted it, but ba they basically said like, I think that the degrowth environmental movement, their core purpose is actually degrowth and environmentalism is just the lens in which they can make their views fashionable um, rather than actually being environmentalists and degrowth being the externality of it. I was like, I think that's probably pretty accurate. Pretty much on the money. Um, a lot of it has to do with just being anti-industry. Um, in this in this sort of circumstance, I see it as more anti-civilization because you have yeah. you know you have places where you have not had wealth for a long time that are getting wealthier, that are getting better fed, that are having better medicine, better technology. Um, just think of a place like India, which you know not more than fifty years ago. You could barely go and, and have a normal meal. I mean, you can barely, maybe you can't do that today, depending on where you go. But, you know, it was not a, a yeah. place that was up and coming and had billions of dollars of GDP and, you know, is actually building products. And um, a lot of expats from India have come over. I mean, essentially every major tech CEO except Zuckerberg is an Indian dude. 
So they're, they've obviously been doing something yeah. correct. They've been doing something right. And we need that growth all over the place. I think this is um, our colleague Bill Vietz often writes about this. It's for a lot of the degrowthers and the green types, they are very excited to you know have this harsh imposition, especially in developing countries. But you know, mostly yeah, it's, NIMBY. It's climate colonialism. It, it right? is it's the climate colonialism, colonialism. But it's NIMBY. We're yeah. not going to do it in my backyard. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure Africa yeah. doesn't get access to you know natural gas pipelines and all this stuff. Um, and then, you know, I can keep on heating my home and do my stuff. Um, I, I'm, I would exactly. hope this is not mainstreamed anymore, but, you know, David, you, you'd had a recent trip to Brussels, to the EU. You've kind of heard some of these folks. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. They're getting a bit too yeah, powerful I mean, for my britches. So, uh, our, our friend of the show, Dr. Sylvain Chabois, just tweeted out a video that kind of perfectly highlights why these degrowthers are wrong. So if you go back to 1961 and you look at like production and cereal yield, so pretty major crops, the amount of land used to grow those grains has increased uh, pretty much stayed around the same, give or take a percentage or two since 1961. But the yield, meaning how much we've produced, um, is like 200% higher from 1961. So literally in real time, as um, this goofball is writing the population bomb and people think we're going to run out of food and all of that, we're, we've increased. This is just one product where you could do it for anything. Um, you've increased with the same amount of land you've increased production by 200%. Um, and that's only possible because of technology, plant breeding, GMOs, better farming techniques, you name it. Um, and so the idea, it's, it's, it's just, it's so categorically wrong over and over again. And we just have to stop listening to these people. I agree. We're going to deplatform them, at least in our public conversations, <laughs> um, get them off. Uh, I I do love to see that sort of innovation and work. And um, I don't remember. Have we interviewed Johan Norberg on here before? I don't, I don't think remember. we've had Johan Norberg. I don't believe well, so. Folks, we're like 156 episodes in. Um, we've had episodes out you know, since January now. 2020. So we're a bit, a bit hazy on that. I have to go check the archives. Uh, but he wrote a great book recently that was, uh, it's just all about that. It's all about, uh, happiness in our time and looking at all the numbers and how we've never been uh, fatter and better in terms of being well-fed, yeah. uh, very long lives, many of us making more money. I mean, you can't really compare now to any other time in history, and it would be, um, you easily can compare yourself to a king in the 1800s. Just a normal person, all you need is a toilet and a fridge. And you're you're doing much better than yep. they were, and this is what is yep. often forgotten in these debates and conversations. And uh, David, we will be in Davos again. Unfortunately, you will not be there uh, to carry the flag in a couple weeks. <laughs> but um, yeah, I've already looked at the program of many of the events that are happening around the World Economic Forum in Davos, and much of it has to do with uh, basically how we make our green future how we denounce fossil fuels and alternative energy sources that aren't wind and solar, I guess. 
And um, that does not ingrain me with much hope. Um, that's why I love to see the people just building who are just creating alternative products, who are working on things like uh, nuclear fusion, who are working on geothermal, working yep. on trying to get nuclear power plants. And I heard this statistic the other day. I thought it was amazing. Um, all the time and energy it takes to construct a nuclear power plant in 2022, 2023 now, that uh, the yield that will come from that nuclear power plant will essentially pay for all of the energy that I went, went into it in six weeks. Wait, say that again? So all of the energy that's required to build a nuclear power plant. So think of, yeah. you, know, you got to do the construction, you got to make all the materials, yeah, yeah. all the fuel, just all of that. Whatever energy input you had, the output will be matched within six weeks. So essentially, wild. they're already net flow positive, positive after six weeks, which you compare that's that incredible. to... You compare that to any business. I mean, even Uber never got net yeah. positive. You know, yeah. There's so many companies that, that still have never been able to get any kind of income, uh, yet a nuclear power plant provides those dividends. You know, that just is a wild. month and a half. That is wild. And yet you still have like, you still have these crazy environmentalists. I mean, this is really where you get the, the, the fork between the environmentalists and the degrowthers. That's how you can tell someone is a serious environmentalist. If they oppose nuclear energy, they're not serious um, because the degrowthers know that if you have um, cheap, reliable nuclear energy, you would feed the abundance agenda, which goes against their core philosophy, Absolutely. where if you if what you care about is the environment, you know that that's a huge environmental win because then you can still have all of the modern luxuries of life without the emission costs that we currently have. Absolutely. Talk more about that here on Consumer Choice Radio. And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio. Um, Yael, I have a question for you. Hit me. I'm curious as to what your take is. Um, is Twitter better worse or pretty much the same post elon musk owning it it's an interesting question um in our always recurring never wanted twitter segment i <laughs> i would i'm of two minds of that to be frank i think um okay i think we don't have this sort of shadow government I mean that in the, the least nefarious way possible. We, do, we just don't have like the multitude yeah. of actors within Twitter and around Twitter who are deciding arbitrarily who can stay and who can't and what can be said and what can't. So I think that is gone. Shadow government has been thrown out. They've been evicted. Uh, so I think that overall is good. Uh, I think there was a lot of hand-wringing throughout November and December from a lot of, of people, particularly mm -hmm. journos, tech journos and the like. Um, I would say overall, it's probably even better by now. Uh, I agree that there's still some, some clarity missing on the Twitter blue and the check marks and all this kind of stuff. But in terms of moderation, um, there were yeah. a lot of bad actors, you know, as soon as Elon came in, who were actually trying to create bots to do racist language or something else. Um, so I, I think there was that. 
I mean, it's interesting that you asked me that. I've been trying um, an additional um, open source protocol, messaging protocol, called Noster, N-O-S-T-R. Have you seen okay. me post about that a little bit, or you, you tuned me out on that? <laughs> it's like, okay, whatever, whatever obscure new tech is out there, I'm sure you're on it. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, well, we'll go back to Twitter, but very quick with Noster. It's essentially, uh, it's a decentralized... Um, messaging system that uses public keys and private keys. So it's, it, it is cryptography, but there's no crypto token involved. I'm not pumping any bags here. Um, okay. It's just, it, it's open source. It's on <laughs> GitHub. You create your private key and your public key, just like with, you know, your computer, your email or something like that. And then you can just post on this board. Um, and then essentially you are, there are relays or servers that can just replicate those messages and you post them to clients. So you can never actually be censored at all. And you can run your own relay if you want and have your own messages stored there. And then all the relays can go and fetch your messages from the server. And uh, you can run this kind of crazily. Um, it was, you know, there were only about 100 users, let's say, nine months ago. And um, it all changed when Jack Dorsey actually joined a Noster client. Uh, Jack Dorsey, former oh. CEO of Twitter. So I do come back around. <laughs> And uh, he's actually, um, he's provided a bounty. So he's given money to these guys, to the open source developers to create better clients and apps and all this stuff. Um, overall, it's very interesting. If you want to find out more, just um, head on over to my Twitter, Y-L-O-S-S. And I have, I have my pub key there. You can see it. And yeah, there's not a single, I mean, the, the only iPhone app is called Damus, D-A-M-U-S. It's currently in test flight. Uh, works really well. Uh, but no, go back to Elon's Twitter because I'm interested in what you have to say about that. Yeah, I mean, I would say that it's actually probably a little better. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a little better. Um, a little better. Uh, and I say that just for some of the same reasons that you say. It seems like they're on the right path to figuring out what a consistent approach looks like because for so long right it was no one knew how any of the decisions were made behind closed doors um i mean the office uh, the obvious example i can think of is like the blue checks um which i've never been able to obtain um and then the story came out that people would apply get denied and then get messaged on the side being like, Hey, you can pay for this. And then, and then people paying thousands of dollars, um, to get verified. Jeez. It only cost me, um, it only cost it me $8. Like a, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, so I think some of that stuff is better. I mean, it's a bit clunky because they try to roll something like, it's it's a bit like trial by fire where they're just like coming up with new ideas all the time and half of them are suck. Um, but I think that's okay. Like that's part of the process of making it better. Um, and so I actually like a little bit of that chaos because ultimately at the end of the day, what comes out is a platform that's better for users. It's maybe a little more resilient. Um it, it removes the obscurity or the opaqueness of whatever the rules were before. Um, 
And now is it perfect? God, no. I mean, there's always going to be problems. Um, but I think that it's on the path to being at least a little more consistent, which was one of the, the major hurdles they had before. Yeah. And you had lawyers who, you know, were just, um, and you had a lot of people requesting that accounts would be uh, suspended or, or, you know, basically banned forever. Um, we have the Twitter files, which have been unveiled over the, the last several weeks. Um, I think Matt Taibbi had the most recent one where showing that uh, you had a number of uh, Congress people's uh, offices who were <coughs> requesting that several investigative journalists have their accounts uh, suspended or some kind of mark on their account. I mean, every, every yep. actor in the, in, the, in the world. And the FBI thing was interesting. I think it raises a lot of questions. Um, you had the Democrats and the sort of, and the, a lot of the journalists of the establishment who are in full uh, protect FBI mode, which I will never understand yeah. this flippening that happened of, you know, the George Bush era Democrats were hate everything that's CIA, FBI, federal government, uh, you know, and now it's completely opposite. Uh, but we'll just, just go back to 2016 and <laughs> how the Democrats absolutely despise the FBI because Comey had to make the call to reopen the investigation on Hillary. And it's like, wait, you guys forget that you spent like a whole election cycle discrediting the FBI and law enforcement? Yeah. Or like they're the good guys now because they raided Mar-a-Lago. Like, oh, yeah, on. stay consistent. You know, if um, you have an agency that is somehow going to... I mostly detest the FBI because they're trying to ban encryption. Uh, they've been working really hard yes. lobbying Congress to try to ban encryption apps, en encrypted messaging services, and all the rest, um, which ain't good. Um, what do I think about the CIA? Don't know. Um, probably okay, maybe not. Um, I, I feel a little bit better about them after I watch this new show on Netflix called The Recruit. Do you watch this yet? Ooh, okay. No, I haven't. What known. is awesome about this? So it's essentially about a um, a lawyer. He's recruited out of. Um, law school and he, he joins the uh, general counsel's office and that is essentially the, the lawyers uh, of the CIA so they're not as uh, clandestine they're not agents necessarily they're lawyers uh, but he kind of gets up in the, a lot of situations coolest thing is is they come to Vienna for one episode and Ooh. not only that a couple months ago I was uh, going to the puppet theater as one does as an adult man <laughs> to bring my my Wait. daughter to enjoy and uh they had closed oh, down okay. parts of the street <laughs> and um they had police there and then um i saw a couple of cameras well that was interesting and uh it's a big bridge near the uh, urania uh sort of very nice building that was built in the late 1800s and there's a taxi that chases a guy and almost hits him on the bridge and then the guy jumps in the into the water and I'm like, oh, man, this is awesome. And someone said, oh, this might be on Netflix. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. I'll never see this. It'll be in five years. Uh, turns out it was actually this show. So I was there while they were recording oh, a cool. scene, um, which does not often happen to me in Vienna, perhaps in Toronto. Um, there's a lot of stuff being filmed there. You probably might have seen that yes. a bit more often than I have, but I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, it suits the TV show. Um, going back to Meghan Markle. No. <laughs> was always filmed in was always filmed in Toronto. So on Bay Street, you'd, you'd regularly see, be like a Wednesday afternoon, and all of a sudden there'd be these New York City taxi cabs parked in the street, and 
they have the camera crews and all that. And jazz. Harvey Specter is um, having a coffee there on, so, out on the street. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Getting one of those blue New York City coffees. Does anybody really get those, man? I I was in New York recently. I, I, I stayed away from that place. I, I think it's just an, like a like a novel, like a vintage novelty. Like maybe that was the go-to cup years ago. I have no idea. I mean, now the guy just like has one of these pump coffee things where he just like brews it in his kitchen at yeah. home in the morning and he just comes back with his, <laughs> puts the coffee. That means gross. They have an espresso machine. I'm all in. Um, they have that in the park here in Vienna yeah. where it's just like, it's called the espresso mobile. The guy's just got an espresso machine nice. just like on a bike. <laughs> He's just handing out cappuccinos Love in the it. park. Oh, I saw a video on Twitter and it was like the peak of well, like only possible in America. Um, so it was South Florida in those communities that are like most people have like canal access to the water. Like Mar-a-Lago. Uh, and it was a marguerite. Well, no. Well, yes, but not like the billionaires, like the affluent, but not like that. And it was a it was a margarita boat. And the guy had a whole little setup on a dinghy and you could just order margaritas from him. And he's just cruising around going dock to dock, making margaritas for people. <laughs> it's like, wow, this Margarita is swamp man. Um, Can I get your order? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, do you think he uses it, uh, plastic bags or cardboard materials to give his, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's definitely using single use plastic. bag. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, uh, there was another funny joke. It was like, well, when you're a kid, this is a very North American thing. The ice cream truck in the summer is always like you hear the bells and it's like, oh, ice cream. And all the kids flood out and then the parents flood out with the money. You know, um, the Russians are working on a program like, like that because it's the best way yeah. um, that you can try to distract Joe Biden. <laughs> ice cream truck. <laughs> There's a clip of him, um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, where he's just he's giving a speech and he's like, oh. Is that an ice cream truck? <laughs> no, no <Yeah>. joke. <laughs> um, but I've always thought, imagine if there was like a Aperol spritz truck. <laughs> you just hear the bells and it's like all the adults actually flood out for themselves. Oh man, in Montreal, we had, um, we had the knife sharpener man. Yeah, yeah, we had that yeah, as ring, a kid. ring the bell and every, all the grandmas would come out with their knives and the... sharpen them in the, in the street. Yeah. It was always awesome. My, my my dad would always bring out his garden shears. Oh, I love that. Because those have to be sharp. <laughs> Gotta clip the hedges, boys. <laughs> those giants are... <laughs> you can't have good edges without sharp garden shears. That just feels like peak 90s to me. Like, you're a 90s kid. It's like you remember, like, the knife sharpening. Truck. Yeah, you're a big 90s nostalgia guy. I am. That was, the, I think, the peak of civilization. Pre-9-11, late 90s. Culturally, at least, yeah, and I guess economically, yeah. if, if yeah. you're doing well, yeah. I mean, I was a child. Yeah, you, so. you were doing really well. <laughs> <laughs> Everything was free. If you, if you got what a you, video what, game console at Christmas, you were doing really well. Yes, yeah, that's that's a fair assessment. I would I would say so. Um, they were a lot more expensive in comparison to incomes then then i think they I are like, now. i think ps2 is like uh, 300 bucks i remember it was like whoa i mean i still remember getting n64 and goldeneye which is probably still the best first person shooter ever made um but yeah again more 90s nostalgia. There you go. <laughs> uh, well i've got something that is um 
gets me back to nostalgia. Uh, there's an article here in the Wall Street Journal, David. Had to give it on this, and I know that um, you had some recent thoughts on uh, some of the alcohol taxes and things in Canada, but here's yeah. an article. Beer sales drop as consumers balk at higher prices. U.S. demand for beer fell at the end of last year after a strong run of defying inflation. So it seems uh, the pinch is in, and uh, beer sales mm-hmm. are down. Uh, a lot of the shares of the big beer conglomerates is down about 10%. Um, it seems a lot, a lot of brands, uh, the, the sales volumes uh, are down, you know, 2%, 3%. So inflation is, um, is biting yeah. at those that yeah, like the I mean, in Canada, we have the escalator tax, which will kick in in April because it's indexed to inflation. The tax goes up by more than 6%. And so after April, you're going to have the wholesale price increase by 6%. You'll then have the retail price accommodate for that. And then you pay the GST, the sales tax on the final price. So it's just like you're getting kicked in the pants twice. You're getting hosed, toes down. On on this tax yeah. type. Well, well, we'll link to uh, yeah. your pieces Oof. on that, David. Um, and much more to come next week. Thank you guys for listening. You've been listening to Consumer Choice Radio. We'll be back next week.